Welcome to the Sensory Kitchen. I am your host, Sumaya Osmani, and this is our first episode. The Sensory Kitchen explores and celebrates the concept of cooking food using our instinct and senses, an art that we are all born with but have lost along the way. We explore different cuisines where the skill is still deeply a part of their food culture, and we talk to people who have embraced this as a part of their cooking style. Today, I'm joined by Ukrainian-born, London-based food writer and chef, Olya Hercules. Olya came to the UK to study for her degree in international relations in Italian, but soon found that her passion for food took her to the Leeds School of Food and Wine, later working as a chef and a recipe developer, before she landed her book deal for her award-winning Mamushka, a cookbook that celebrates her family recipes from Ukraine to Azerbaijan. In her second book, Caucasus, A Culinary Journey from Georgia, Azerbaijan Beyond, she writes some delicious recipes exploring a very unknown cuisine. Her new book, Summer Kitchen, is published by Bloomsbury and is going to be released this summer, 2020. Really looking forward to that book. Oli and I met through social media, forging a friendship through the mutual love of our heritage cuisines. And I'm so excited that she's joined us today. So welcome, Olya. Thank you so much. So good to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, I know you've just recently had another baby. So thanks a lot for you know, taking out the time from your very busy time with your baby and your family. So thanks a lot. My pleasure. It's actually quite nice to get away for 15 minutes. <laughs> I it's know, all good. I know. Great. <laughs> so um, tell me a little bit about your um, cooking and, you know, and how you grew up cooking and, and how you learned how to cook, because that's the interesting part. How did you learn to cook? Well, so uh, I actually didn't cook as a kid. I mean, my dad kind of uh, insisted that I do it every weekend when I was about 15, year, 15, 16 years old. And I did, but I burnt everything and I didn't find any pleasure in it. And obviously my mom and my grandma, even my dad, you know, they're excellent cooks. So I ate their food and I loved it, but I didn't really have the passion for it. So actually uh, I started cooking in my early 20s. Well, before I went to university, my, you know, I, I had this little notebook. I still have it. And my mom, we, we, I did write down recipes with my mom, uh, you know, the ones that she always cooked for me, the easy stuff, like omelets and um, uh, a couple of uh, pasta dishes, even though they're not really easy, but, um, you know, pancakes, things like that. Um, and I tried cooking them at university in the UK and I kind of failed a few times mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, well, now I realize the ingredients weren't very good and actually I wasn't very good either. And then I stayed in Italy for a year and I saw how young people of my age, you know, both, uh, you know, young women and young men could just whip something up like that. And, you know, some of the boys, like, you know, there was one that had, um, his dad was a butcher in Puglia or something. So they'd get these boxes of amazing produce and they'd just make these amazing dishes. So I got really, really inspired. And also the way that the Italians cook, you know, relying on ingredients a lot, uh, on the quality of ingredients, kind of reminded me how amazing food is back at home. So when I came back to the UK I just got obsessed and I started cooking 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 non-stop from, from the age of 21 22 I'd say 
Would you say that a lot of your cooking when you, when you did come and that, you know, it's interesting how sometimes we all come to cooking later, but we do have it in our bones. It's because like, like yourself, you know, you grew up watching your mom and your dad cooking and, and that obviously was in your blood, but you didn't realize that you could do it until much later. So do you think a lot of the cooking that you later did after you were inspired by your trip to Italy and living in Italy, do you think a lot of it came from the instinct that you had of watching your mom and dad cook? Do you think oh. a lot of it was... Yes, absolutely. Um, my mom uh, and my grandmother uh, and my dad, yes, um, it does stick with you. And we did definitely observe. Maybe it wasn't that kind of like, okay, let's cook together, you know, like I do with my son now, Sasha. Yeah. Uh, but we were always around. And obviously, I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but there were the summer kitchens where uh, these separate buildings in Ukraine where all of the summer cooking was done and all of the preserving and stuff. It was like, all of the kind of like your hub moves from the main house into this cookery workshop essentially and that's where we hang out all summer you know we had really long summer holidays three months and we'd just mince around in this little kitchen and mom would be cooking and she'd be the you know making like a huge vat of raspberry jam you know and she'd take a little bit of the foam of the top and we'd eat it you know all of these little mm -hmm. bits and, and definitely it was super sensory you know super um sensual in the way as well and just um the smells and the sounds and what my mom would say or she, things that she would say that my grandmother used to say you know that <laughs> definitely filtered through yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think it's that, you know, I love the concept of summer kitchens. I just think that, um, you know, the book, of course, it sounds in, uh, exciting and, and interesting and it exploring, you know, a way of life and a way of cooking that, you know, not, not many people know about. Um, and I didn't definitely until I sort of heard it from you. And I think that, you know, that just the concept of cooking with a family around outside, um, you know, really just soaking in everything. So it's not just the cooking, but it's the voices. You know, I, I remember my grandmother talking to my mom, usually telling her, that's not how I do it. That's what you should be putting in. That's what, you know, and constantly telling her, well, that doesn't taste right because you haven't put put this. And my mom would like, I don't put that because that's not how we do it in my house. And, yeah. You know, it was interesting, those voices. And so you're smelling, tasting, hearing, touching. And without actually learning a recipe, you're totally absorbing it. And by osmosis, it's a part of you. 100%, yes. Yeah, no, I think that's exciting. So tell me a little bit about Summer Kitchens and, and, and the journey. And I'm really intrigued. And I think a lot of our listeners will be really interested to learn about, you know, what the book covers and this concept of Summer Kitchens in Ukraine and, and around the area where you were born. Just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, um, I mentioned it very casually to someone in the UK. I just said, oh, yeah, and then in the Summer Kitchens, da, da, da. and they just said, Summer Kitchens, what do you mean? You know, it's such a normal kind of regular thing to mm -hmm. me. I didn't even think to think that it was anything special in a way and then I explained and as I, as I was explaining I was like oh my god this is an amazing thing that we've got I never how could I not thought of it it's basically the way that it kind of started was I think after the second world war they've developed into what it is today so in the summer uh, even like late spring it becomes really quite hot in Ukraine and especially in the south until October it's super hot weather and you know we had these uh, small houses and um there were no air condition there was no air conditioning and it was really stuffy and um you basically kind of just built uh, a, a miniature version of your bigger house almost so they're not necessarily open it, it is a, it is a tiny little house but it's just one room it's just the kitchen 
but in, in it, you can open all the doors and windows. So you've got, you know, a lot of breeze and stuff. And, um, and then you cook in it. Uh, and another, another, the way that they kind of came about also was a young couple would get married. And, you know, they'd get a, especially in rural Ukraine, I guess that would have happened. And then you'd get your plot of land and you'd build, um, this is the first thing that you build. So you build this uh, tiny little, you know, mini house, almost just one room thing. And you would put a makeshift bed there and you'd put a gas burner or whatever, or, you know, you'd build a masonry oven called peach. And then you would build your big house during the six you know warm months and you would um uh, you know plant all your vegetables in your orchard and whatever so you lived in this makeshift little house while you were you know building your life around you and then once you your bigger house was done this was just used as this uh, summer kitchen basically where you would obviously cook in the summer and then a lot of women they, uh, that I interviewed all over Ukraine said and you know another good thing about this is that your house is clean the, the kids are <laughs> the kids are out of the house they're just always in this one room you know out of your house so it's much easier to take care of things in the summer you don't have to do as much cleaning mm-hmm. And also yeah. come September, you know, you'd have a glut of vegetables. My mom had, you know, 30 kilos of tomatoes last year. And that's nothing. That's not a lot. Really. <laughs> My uh, auntie had 40 kilos of in extra aubergines that she couldn't do anything with. I'm sure that she had, a, you know, twice as much altogether. And then so what you do with this glut is that you start preserving for winter because obviously in winter we didn't have any fresh vegetables apart from seasonal stuff like root vegetables and whatever you could keep um so you would uh, either ferment or you know or boil it and almost like can it in uh, in um, big jars and stuff and put it in the cellar for winter so there was a huge almost semi-industrial operation happening in september uh, <laughs> and, and, that, and that was something again that you know it was just a normal thing to me and, and sometimes we were given little jobs to do you know uh, people talk about um, in my in my book actually at the end there are essays I've interviewed uh, people and they told me about their childhood memories of summer kitchens and I turned them into little essays and yeah. um, one of the women is saying that you know when they were little they they used to they had these cherry pitters but she said they weren't actually very effective so they actually did it with hairpins um, they mm-hmm. took the stones out of cherries. So imagine buckets and buckets of cherries, <laughs> but quite meditative and, and teaches yes. a child how to also become quite patient. I think it was a good thing. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it's interesting that you talk about um, these summer kitchens where the whole house, um, you know, is sort of built around it. And, and it, it actually reminds me a lot about uh, the kind of way that people live in Pakistan, in my home country, um, because if you go to the villages, uh, this is very much the way that the houses are built. The kitchen is kind of central and the, it's like a courtyard. And because most of the southern parts of the country are quite hot, um, this is exactly what they do. Everything in the, the kitchen is usually outdoors. It never is in the house. Yeah. Um, and it, it's incredible how, you know, Again, the kids are out there, you know, there's, they're grinding flour, they're making chapatis, they're making pickles. And it's, it's very similar to what you say. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and like you, I, I would have just taken that for granted. But it's actually incredible that you're highlighting a part of such a deep part of the culinary culture of Ukraine um, through just this very simple, you know, something you take for granted when you were living there probably. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's brilliant. And and tell me a little bit about, um, you know, like you know that in my book I speak a lot about the word andaza, which is I call the art of sensory cooking. And, and it's really what gave rise to this podcast. And, you know, because I realized that so many cuisines cook that way, especially ones that are quite deep rooted in many historical and, um, and interna- you know, sort of border influences of the, the cuisines that they've grown up with. Like, for example, obviously your cuisine is very much influenced by its borders. Um, and and um, I'm quite intrigued to know how much of Ukrainian cooking to this day is done by a zero recipes, but just word of just people understanding how much should go into everything. Because obviously a lot of ingredients in Ukrainian cooking are different for people. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. I'll let you tell me about the ingredients and how people can get comfortable with the ingredients and be able to cook instinctively. Yeah, so yes, absolutely. Um, this whole idea of uh, cooking with recipes, you know, even my mom, of course, she has uh, a few recipe books, but she glances at them and then she kind of gets inspired and is led by that. Well, the way that they cook is exactly as you describe. You just go by senses, you know, because also produce is different. You can have a an apricot that's sour or an apricot that's really sweet, and then you adjust what you're doing with it, you know, and it goes for everything, for a tomato or whatever you're cooking with. Um, and funnily enough, when I was writing Mamushka, you know, my first cookbook, I went to Ukraine and uh, and I and I said, Mom, we need to write these recipes down. And I was, and they were like, No, we, I can't do measurements. You know, I just do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So I said, Okay, how about we fill this, uh, you know, a bowl with flour and we'll weigh it. And then you do your thing, Mama. You know, you throw a little bit of this and that and go by your instincts. And then I will measure how much is left. You know, in there. And that's how I kind of like tricked them into into developing recipes. But now. You know, even when I write my, uh, you know, my my latest the summer kitchen cookbook, I try to lead people like that. I say, yes, this is the recipe, but also go by your senses. You know, this is how it should be, but also go by what you want it to be in a way. Especially once you exactly. make a recipe a couple of times, and it's definitely using that you know your sense of intuition which uh, you know uh, it sounds so mystical isn't it oh i'm very intuitive mm-hmm. i can feel but actually it's um which is brilliant documentary about intuition and it's really it's being attentive observant almost on a molecular level isn't it yeah, o- without absolutely. without knowing that you're actually even noticing it you know i'm sure there's so much that we do or used to do as humans that maybe we're not as um, tuned in anymore. You know, like Polynesian sailors could knew where to go in the sea, how, you know, because they were so attentive to all of these signs in nature and whatever. And these days, uh, you know, you you can't even, well, I'm talking about myself here, I can't even find the way to whatever, (laughs) because I have to look at the GPS and whatever, I can't do it. Uh, but with cooking, yeah. luckily, I do have that intuition and instinct and whatever. But I think you can also, as you, I think you also mentioned it in one of your articles, you can learn it or you can yeah, you can train yourself to trust yourself a little bit more and trust your senses, trust, trust your, uh, you know, flavor, uh, taste buds, etc., and um, so we don't really have the name Andaza, you know, we don't have a specific yeah. name for it. But I guess we'd say, you know, there's a lot of use of soul and spirit yeah. in Ukraine. So we'd say cooking with, with soul, I guess. But 
also there's another thing because I was thinking about your questions and I thought how did my grandma was there anything specific and definitely there's this one stew that she makes she used to use pork ribs I think so you'd cook these pork ribs uh in a little bit of water with potatoes whatever and then um she used to say and when you can hear that the stew has got enough spirit in it you know very specific mm-hmm. um yeah. when you hear that it's got enough spirit in it and that and that referred to enough water having boiled off and a specific mm-hmm. sound that it made and the ferocity with which it was uh you know boiling then you put your massive like uh, kefir dough dumplings in you know yeah. like there was the specific yeah. point and 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 my mom definitely used to say that and she used to always giggle because she'd remember that grandma used to say that and <laughs> she used to tell me that and now and now I do that and now I listen to my food a lot more and um yeah. yeah it's great i think it's about being mindful and and you know we we take we use the word mindful so much now and and you know i i, I suppose i never grew up hearing the word mindful it's become a very sort of 21st century it's very new word. age but <laughs> <laughs> very new age um uh, but the fact is it is about taking the time to switch off from everything else in your life and just focus on what you're doing and it's amazing how your your instincts you know we're we're born as animals with instincts and we have allowed you know modern life to take away from our instincts and allowed other things and becoming crutches for us and in a way food is is that beautiful raw thing that you do with your hands and you use every single sense and and everyone has it and that's why i say that everybody has the instinct to cook by instinct um everyone has the art of instinct cooking because we all have the same instincts we have the same senses so it's about just allowing yourself to trust it um a very interesting thing you were saying about you know how you know when it's got spirit and and recently i was talking to a turkish food writer who said she was making this dough and her grandmother used to say when it feels like the lobe of your ear as soft <laughs> as the lobe of your ear and i apps you know something my daughter we were cooking it and ayana said to me mom she said to, to this dough has to feel like when your earlobe is as soft as your earlobe and you know it'll stick with yeah. her and she'll make that bread again and it'll stick with her and so these are better ways of teaching kids as well to cook and and i think this is what then my next question um is going to be just you know before we sort of round it up is that you know when you're teaching sasha to cook now are you really helping him to it is to like really trust his instincts um so tell me about a little bit about how you cook with him and and how you're trying to instill the love of cooking and and the recipes say from his you know obviously he's got a mixed culture of he's born in britain and you know yeah. he's got the thai culture and he's got yours so tell me a little bit about that um i mean of course he's more excited about baking <laughs> making sweet things because <laughs> we don't have much of that actually we do in this lockdown um you know what i said all of the all of the rules out of the window let's just bake cake yes. it's fine Uh, but we try not to so he 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 does get really excited about ba- uh, cooking baked stuff but um you know we have done things like fun things like dumplings you know he's he's really into his um uh, molding with clay and stuff like that and that's you know it's almost like making art you know especially with yeah. something like dumplings and and it is super meditative and and you can just kind of start doing it and because you're so focused you know with one part of your brain the other you know it just complete you get complete kind of relaxation so 
yes, I do. I do try to. Uh, I, don't, I don't actually have to try to try. He he loves cooking. In fact, the other day mm. he said, uh, "Mom, you know, for ages I thought that I was going to become a chef, uh, but now I know I'm I'm going to oh. become animator. Is that okay?" <laughs> and then he was like, "Is that okay?" I'm like, "Yes, of course. You can do whatever you like. You know, you can be both. <laughs> yes, or you can be both, and you know, you can cook for your yeah. for yourself or your family or whatever, and 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 get joy from that. So yeah, there's definitely that. Um, one thing that I want to teach him though, as well, which I think uh, I came. Uh, I mean, we do that anyway, I guess, in Ukraine as, again instinctively, but." I came across this notion of cooking with intention in Azerbaijan, uh, which is kind of putting your good energy into the food that you cook with intention to make someone feel better. So not just making someone feel, you know, you can kind of put, I, I keep thinking about this, putting good energy, what does it mean? And again, that means being observant and attentive with how you cook. Um, and thinking positive thoughts, um, I think is such a great thing. So in Azerbaijan, they uh, make this um, wheat uh, porridge where you have to stir it for hours and hours and hours and hours. These women who were, must have been in their 60s and 70s have been, would have been stirring this thing from 5 a.m. to 1 uh, in the afternoon, basically. And, um, mm -hmm. and they do it specifically People come over to them and they say, oh, my daughter, you know, would love to get married or that my uh, daughter and son can't have children or somebody is ill. Can you cook this thing with with intention, basically? And then we'll, we'll feed it to them and it will make it them feel, you know, a little bit of mysticism there. But again, not really. So I think that's another thing that would be quite lovely to uh yeah, to, to teach children how to do in a way, I don't know, just being attentive and thinking positive thoughts as well. That's absolutely beautiful. I love that because I think that, you know, food is like we always put our love into food and and we feed people with love and we want them to you know, enjoy our meals. So that's got that, you know, it's got that whole thing of just putting your thoughts into it. And I absolutely love cooking with intention. So, you know, moving on from instinct, intention is next. I like this theme. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thanks so much. But before before we end, Olya, I'd love you to um, give the listeners a little bit of the basic flavor notes of Ukrainian food. Food. And what are the building blocks of Ukrainian food? So if people wanted to experiment with, um, you know, obviously, we would love them to buy all your books. Uh, but if they just <laughs> wanted to try, you know, to cook something that tasted Ukrainian, what would be your sort of five, four or five ingredients that you would say are the building blocks and the techniques that are building blocks of Ukrainian cooking? Uh, sure. Um, so very good produce. It's very simple. We don't have many spices in Ukraine. You know, a little bit of caraway here and there, a little bit of allspice in your pickling or something. But really, we rely on on good produce, organic, you know, seasonal stuff. Um, then, of course, dill. You know, yeah. somebody <laughs> joked, joked, joked about mamushka. Oh, you should call this book dill. <laughs> because we don't just use it for fish. We, we put it into borscht or any soup, really, or broth. Um, it's, a, it's a really dominant herb. Um, then just a lot of fresh herbs in the summer, I guess. Also, uh, you know, in the south, we use a lot of coriander and purple basil and things like that. Uh, then another one 
that um, we use a lot in terms of methods. We make a broth, which is quite simple, you know, just some vegetables or meat uh, boiled in some water. But then we do this thing called smaženja. It's almost like Italian sofrito. So you uh, dice onion and you uh, cook it and you skim off a little bit of animal fat off the broth and then cook your onion in that or in a little bit of oil until it kind of starts caramelizing and then you grate carrot mm-hmm. or, or or if you want you can do it by hand into julienne kind of like matchsticks mm-hmm. and then you add carrot to it so if this is kind of like a building block this adds sweetness mm-hmm. uh to the broth so you cook the carrots and onion until they you draw out all of the kind of caramelized sweetness out of them and then you pop it in and then you also add a little bit of sour into your broth for example so either um, uh, some fermented uh, tomato, uh, tomato, tom- tomato, tomato, <laughs> tomato pulp uh, into your broth, um, or even a little bit of uh, fermented beetroot juice. You know, sometimes we uh, um, a beetroot brine that we add into uh, borscht. So it's this kind of like perfectly sweet, sour. Mm. Uh, salty, that kind of thing, I guess. And of course, uh, I mean, sour cream or the best equivalent that I found in the UK is, would be French creme fraiche, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. You know, that thick kind of amazing stuff. So just, you know, put it all over your, uh, for example, if you're vegetarian, put it all over your cauliflower, uh, salt it really well and bake it in the oven. Or if you're not vegetarian, do the same with the chicken. Just smother it in sour cream mm-hmm. uh, or, or creme fraiche. Uh, season it really well, roast it, and that that's another kind of like dominant uh, flavor in Ukrainian food for sure. So I love that Ukrainian food is very much about celebrating balancing flavor, um, which means that you have to use your instincts to know when the you know when the flavor is completely balanced, when you've got a bit of sour, sweet, savory, salty, um, and I absolutely love that at the end you have this deep creaminess and richness of something that's got milk in it, or and the other thing is the freshness of herbs. So I absolutely love the notes of Ukrainian cooking. It is such a comforting yet fresh and reviving cuisine oh thank you Samaya that's a really good <laughs> I love it I think it's it's very nourishing and, and beautiful so you know I'm so inspired to go and cook from one of your books and I absolutely cannot wait for summer kitchen I mean I just I literally I'm not even joking when I say I'm counting the days I just the book is beautiful so everyone out there get ready to pre-order that book because it's going to be a hit um, thanks so much Olia for joining us um, really appreciate you taking out the time today um, and I'm absolutely love chatting to you. Um, so this is um, myself, Somaya Osmani, who had a lovely chat with Olya Hercules, um, signing off from the Sensory Kitchen. Join us next time. Bye, Olya. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.